tomorrow morning and you decide to, you know what, you, you spend some money over the weekend and if you're on like me, we do some online banking and, and you get up and you go to your account, you punch in there and all of a sudden you realize, you look at your account and you go, oh, what's going on? And you realize that somebody has deposited $86,400 into your account. What would you do? Yippee, right? <laughs> and you're ecstatic, and you, you call the bank, and you knowing that it's a mistake. And, and they tell you, no, actually, it's not a mistake. But there's some stipulations, they said, that go along with that money, and they tell you this, is that whatever money you don't spend at the end of the day, it disappears. And then they go on to tell you one other, other piece to this, and they say this. They said, well, you know what? At midnight, another $86,400 gets deposited into your account. And then you can spend that during the day, but if you don't spend it, you lose it. Now, what would we do? I think we would look to spend it, wouldn't we? To get things, whatever. Well, here's the deal. Each of us, has a bank account like that. And on the, the name of that account is T-I-M-E, time. Every night at 12, 86,400 seconds are thrown into your account. You realize that? And every night, it writes off the balance of what we haven't used. And it's not like cell phones where minutes roll over. Once it's done, it's done. A.W. Tozer, look at what it wrote. I think I put it on your bulletin notes. Time is a resource that's non-renewable and non-transferable. You cannot store it, slow it up, hold it up, divide it up, or give it up. You can't hoard it up. Or save it for a rainy day when it's lost, it's unrecoverable. When you kill time, remember that it has no resurrection. Now, we live in a culture, and especially the Western culture, where we view time as a commodity. It's really almost as important as money. And I think the older we get, I think for me, even getting older, time becomes actually more valuable. But let me start with a passage from Ephesians chapter 5. Look how it reads. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We've started this series on treasures in our hearts, and we have to recognize that time is a treasure that's valuable just like money, just like possessions, and in this passage, it calls us to be wise stewards of the time that God has given us. But I want to approach today just a little bit differently. And one of the reasons why I think when it comes to time, we don't realize that, that the early church culture viewed it very differently in the ancient world than we tend to do it today. 
Matter of fact, if you were to compare all of the verses of time versus money, for example, you would see that there are a plethora of verses on money and they're just as a handful of verses that really deal with the issue of time. They didn't view time the same way we do it. And for their culture, it wasn't about, for the idea, like time management. They wouldn't even consider that term. They were more into events. But I believe this, I think if Jesus were writing the scriptures for us today, I think he would address the issue of time in far more, give it more importance than, than the scriptures tend to give it. But think of the idioms for us today when it comes to time. We talk about spending time, saving time, investing time, wasting time. Time is money. Is that, just, that would have been so foreign to them. There isn't enough time in a day. You ever use that phrase? I just don't know where the time, where, the, where there's going to be time to do everything I need to do. I don't know where the time goes. I'll try to find the time, like we've lost it. See, the fact is, people do feel pushed for time today. And generally, I think people have this feeling that there's not enough time in the day, there's just not enough hours in the day sometimes. But you catch our language, how it presses toward this issue of time. The word urgent, what does it usually refer to? It's centered around time. Get a move on it. What does that mean? Hurry up, we're wasting time. Rush hour. <laughs> what about rush hour? See, we don't have all day. Some of you might have said that this morning, getting dressed, right? Some of your kids or whatever, we don't have all day. Get a move on it. You catch the way our culture approaches time. And frankly, we would think that with all the things that go on, we should have more leisure time. You think of even in the business world. Uh, do you know a few years back that you actually could deliver a hand, you know, a, a letter that went through snail mail and, and it was okay to do business that way? And, and now there's fax machines, internet, emails, priority mail, next day delivery. Uh, do you catch the change for us? And you would think we'd have more leisure time today. And yet we turn around and we go, it's just not true. But here's, a, let me put up a quote on here. It's kind of discouraging for me, but I think he's right. He says, with respect to time, Christians are a good deal worse off than many. This is especially the case if you live in a large city or belong to middle class or have managerial or professional positions or combine outside employment with substantial household responsibilities. Christians and people raised in a Christian setting tend to take their work more seriously than others. They also place a high value on family obligations and they are often in the forefront of community and charitable associations. The upshot of this commitment to work, community, and family is as my eldest son commented, Christians are like trains, always on the move, always in a rush, and always late. The fact that we throw in a church and a commitment to a church 
Folks, we're not immune from this within the body of Christ. As we approach this, somebody joked with me and they wanted to come in and talk about their calendar here at the previous service. But this isn't about time management. This is ultimately about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts. And I'm not up here to tell you that play or leisure or rest or, or smelling the roses really is a waste of time. Matter of fact, I'm wondering at times if we should be doing more of that. But time is about the heart and why we spend time. So for your notes, if you're following along there, the bigger issue, the problem we face today is not the amount of time our Heavenly Father has allotted to us. He's given us exactly the right right amount, but rather what are the motivations within our hearts as to why we spend time on, and on what things that we do. See, it, it gets back to last week. Where are the treasures? What are we doing with the things that we treasure in our hearts? So my hope this morning is that the scriptures might be a mirror to us and hold it up in front of our hearts and as God, and allow the Spirit to, to work and do the work that he needs to do. But turn with me to Luke chapter 12 this morning. And, and this is an interesting text in, in that when you first dig into it, you go, this is about money and possessions. But I'm going to submit to you that it's more than just money. And I think we'll see that here. Now, the context is that Jesus had, it was actually trying to do some teaching to his disciples, and the crowds are flooding around him, and they're kind of stirred up. And on one such occasion, that he's doing this, somebody from the crowd throws Jesus a question. And look at how at verse 13, start with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your, on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, just stop a moment here. This man wanted justice. And oftentimes the oldest son, and more, more than often, it was likely that the oldest son would get a double inheritance. I wasn't the oldest son, but uh, you understand, we're not sure in this if he's a younger son or oldest, but somebody's looking for fairness here. And Jesus goes, that's not my job here. And he begins to teach, and he goes after the disciples, and he's teaching them about a critical issue here. And, and you'll notice in the ESV, it uses the word covetousness. If you have an, a New American Standard, for example, it might use the word greed. But when you take a look at this, it, it's wider, folks, than just money. Be on guard against all covetousness. Or all greed. He's warning his disciples here that that covetousness can sneak into our hearts. And in this particular case, the issue was, yeah, it's centered around possessions and money, but he's, he's going to widen it here. But I, I need to actually push this issue farther. I'm going to put Colossians 3 on the screen here for you. And, and look how Paul writes this to this church. Therefore, 
Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, and desire. This is the flesh. And greed, or ESV says covetousness, which amounts to idolatry. When you use that, now when we use the word greed, oftentimes I think we go right away to money. But I think the ESV uses covetousness for a a very specific reason because they understand that it's a wider connotation that Jesus is talking about here. It's about the attitude of the heart. And even there, and Paul writes, the attitude is he's connecting that which we desire with idolatry. And and now you think of, okay, idolatry, what is it? it? It's frankly, it's this. It's giving our worship. It's giving our energy. It's giving our time to things that matter more than God. God says, worship me and me alone, and yet we end up, the culture and sometimes we we end up worshiping things rather than God and that's idolatry and he's teaching his disciples this it's much more than just handling money here yeah greed's a part of it possessions are a part of it but when you stop and think what are the other idols that can sneak into our lives how about this Success, fame, adulation, pleasure. There is all kinds of things that can rule our lives that we give worship to other than God. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that the heart is really the attitude is the issue here. But we also realize that when you stop and think about money, possessions, all of those things, there's always a common denominator of time with it. Where we spend our time. What our energy, where it goes to in the time that we have. Now let me just throw you an application if you're following along in the notes. The use of time is a tool or a platform that reveals what we treasure in our hearts, that which we define as most important. See, time itself really is a neutral term. It can be used for God's glory or it can be used for evil. It can be used to feed the idols in our lives, or it can be something eternal. But let me again go to Ephesians 5, this key verse. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use. Now that word best, it's an interesting term. And I looked it up here, and look at the definition of that. Look what it reads here. To make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. That's best. Do you catch what's happening? Do we use opportunities for that which is sacred? Let's keep going, though. Verse 16 in this parable. And he told them a parable saying, and here's where Jesus uh, is talking about a parable, the land 
of a rich man produce plenty. Now, got to catch this in the parable because he, he's talking about this man who is thinking in his mind. That's, you'll, you'll see this, that he's, he's pondering this inside himself as the illustration. But I'm going to add some emphasis as we read here, continue reading. Look at verse 17. And he thought to himself, so here he's thinking in his mind, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you catch something in this conversation, those things that I underline? The number of times that he's thinking in his mind, I, I, my, my. The heart of this man is selfish and about the I, the self. Here's the application for your notes. The use of time can reflect whether the things we pursue in our lives are for righteousness or for selfishness. The heart of this parable, this man, was consumed with selfishness. His time was dominated by that. And if we pause, and we have to admit that I think we can delude ourselves into thinking as we pursue things, that they're legitimate, but they're only really about the I, the me, the mine. But, but think about this guy a second. This man's life, and to put a twist on it here, this man's life was dominated by giving to who? Himself. You realize this guy's a giver? But who did he give to? It, it wasn't others, it was himself. See, that was the, that's part of the battle that goes on within us. I, I've said this a number of times. When you think of the battle within our hearts, it's a battle as to where and to whom we are giving our love and our affections. We either give it to God, everybody loves, but either we give it toward God and toward what He desires, or we begin to give it. Martin Luther said, "Love is sin is just love curved in on self. We give to the self. Our affections come back always to the self. But I think this is fair to say as well. You know, to be made in the image of God, you realize that God, and we'll see this here in the text, that God is a giver, and that we we're also called to be givers. But the question is, where and to who are we giving? Is the giving feeding the self? Or what? Uh, we realize we're born that way. I talked about depravity last week, this idea that even as children, we're born to give to ourselves. Life is centered around us. But let me dig more into the parable. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When you look at that phrase that I underlined, the things that you have prepared, 
You know how you can spell that? T-I-M-E. All of the preparation, the time that we put in the preparing, this guy prepared the bigger barns, the stuff. And Jesus comes along and he labels those people fools. Where the goal is to become, have big treasures, to become independently wealthy so I can just eat, drink, and be merry. See, everyone is a giver. And the question is, where do we give? And this man's life was dominated by giving and feeding the self. That dominated his time and his energy. But it points to another issue. And and look at that verse uh, 20. And it's not rich toward God. Now, let me show you the paraphrase version. This is from the message, and he really, this is, captures it. Look at verse 20. Just then God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die. And the barn full of goods, who gets it? See, at the end of life, who gets it? Not you. You've been giving yourself all this time. I, I really think he's kind of going back even putting a little dig toward this guy who threw out that question about the inheritance. Look at verse 21. That's what happens when you fill your barn with the self and not with God. He's he's right on the money there. Jesus saying that man, this man had no time for God. He was left out of the equation and Jesus calls him a fool. He spent time on earthly things and he never considered the eternal. Another principle, let me just throw this out here in application. In the form of a question, does our time reflect a growing desire to know God? Folks, God delights in spending time with us. And and he wants us to come and spend time in prayer and spend time in his word. And and those times that we need to just, you know what, turn off the radio. Maybe even in our cars going to work and and we pick up an audio Bible and throw that on instead. But the reality is that we will never fully know and can love God unless we spend time with him. How can we relate to somebody when you never spend time? And he so longs, he wants us to know him and to love him. There can never be a depth of relationship without time. It's true in any relationship. A marriage, a friendship, it takes time. Can I throw you out a challenge this week? Um... How about this? Beyond the time that you've spent in devotions, how about if you made a date with God and took an hour or two, got away from the kids, your spouse, and to go someplace, maybe it's a corner at a coffee shop, take some headphones, take some worship music, take your Bible, and just go on a date with God and listen to the Spirit speak to you through his word and through thoughts and through music 
Try taking a date. Why? Because God wants, he is our friend, and he wants so much more than just a casual relationship with us. He wants us to enjoy him. But let me move on here. But I got to give you one more piece to, this is a biblical reality before I read this next section. There's a reality in this next passage that our Heavenly Father is a giver and a provider. And I would ask you, when we walk through this, these next verses, keep that in your thoughts. God is a giver and He's a provider. Look how it goes. And He said to His disciples in verse 22, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, just got done with that parable, what you will eat nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and look at this, yet God feeds them. God is a giver and he's a provider even to the birds. And then look at that next phrase. And how much more value are you than the birds? Even think of that one and it's as this. God bestows us. He gives us value. He looks at our lives and says, I value you. Verse 25, And which of you are being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And if then you're able to do it as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so, look at this, he clothes the grass. He even takes care of the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown in the oven. Look at this. How much more will he clothe you? God is a giver and a provider. We tend to read this text and we say, we look at the birds and yeah, he's the creator. But more than that, he's a giver and he's a provider. And then it says, oh, you of little faith. You have to stop and go, okay, what's the, what's the purpose of that statement? And I think it's this. Little faith is not believing that God provides and gives. And so we got to rely on ourselves. And all along, Jesus is saying, God's a provider. He's a giver. Look at 29. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. It implies a giver again. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. There again, he's giving to us. Fear not, little flock, for it is your good's pleasure. And look at what else he gives us. To give you the kingdom. So he not only gives us the needs in our life, food, those type of things, shelter, but he ends up giving us the kingdom of God. Now, there's a piece of theology, I think, that we tend to overlook here and we forget so easily. And again, this idea, again, that God 
is a loving father who's a fountain and he provides and he gives to his children. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. And we're called to stop worrying. Why? Because we have a heavenly father who is a giver and a provider. Stop worrying about tomorrow's stuff. Why? Because he gives and provides. Now we tend to read this and and how God takes care of the birds and stop worrying. We focus on that. And I think here's where we tend to go. Okay, I feel guilty about worrying. I know that worrying dominates my life and we can feel guilty. And then we kick into this little red engine theology that says something like this. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm not going to worry tomorrow. I think I can. I think I can. I I think I won't. I think I won't. Something like that. And you go, no. That's just bad theology. You see, the animals and the flowers, God takes care of the kingdom and creation. And he's going, disciples, remember, God will provide for you. He is a giver and is providing. And the question is, do we have faith like that? Do we believe that within our deep within our souls that he is a provider and he loves us that much? And because God is a provider and giver, do you realize that there's another call on our lives as a result of this, though? Look how the response when we get captured by God taking care of us. Look at verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide them with money bags, do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Folks, that statement, this, these couple verses are a radical statement that I think we underestimate and we tend to want to ignore. And here's the issue. We're willing to give, and even here, money-wise, as long as it comes from out of the overflow of what we have. If I have 50000 in my bank account, then I will give to the poor. But understand, God doesn't qualify, Jesus is not qualifying anything here. He's saying this, sell your possessions and give it away. But we struggle with it because it is, we go, but i got to have a reserve. i got to have whatever. You, you catch, are you catching the radicalness of this passage? He's saying, don't worry about those things. And there might be times where God calls us to sell things. And, and, and I had to ask the question, well, let me give you the application first for your notes. Because God gives and provides for us, we are now called to respond by taking time to also become a giver. And money's one aspect of it. But I think Jesus is teaching his disciples deeper principles here because, for example, for us in our day and age, I think we have to say this, this applies here. If our home and our possessions are keeping us from investing in the kingdom of God, 
If our possessions are keeping us from having time to invest in the lives of people, if the stuff that we have and the the pleasures that we're going after are keeping us from becoming a disciple who disciples, then I think Jesus is saying, get rid of them and sell them and give them away. And that's not a very popular thing to do because we want big storehouses of stuff so we can eat, drink, and be merry and be self-sufficient when we get old. Let me give you the second application here because it fits with that. God desires that we use our time to give toward eternal things. See, he wants, because he takes care of us, because he's a provider and a giver, he's going, Ken, don't worry about stuff. Give your life away. Give grace, give support, give words of encouragement, and yes, even money. See, but are we building treasures that are about this world? Or are we building treasures that will look into eternity as we gaze that direction? I I even think, for example, of a Poland trip. Or some of you guys that might be builders and handymen. The objection over the years I've heard is is people look at a missions trip and they go, oh, but i got to give up my vacation. My time. And can I sacrifice my time for the sake of the kingdom of God? Jesus would look at that and go, are you kidding me? He really would. See, the challenge for us, are we willing, is God is wanting, so desiring us to be givers, givers of life, givers of ministry, givers of ourselves toward people. And he wants us to be intentional in that. But here's the dilemma, because there's a, we think in some categories that just aren't biblical. Let me put a picture on the screen. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to look at the hours of the day and we break them up into priorities. Work, sleep, play, church, God, family. And you go, that understanding is not biblical. We don't give just a portion of our time back to God. He owns all of it. See, we're called to be wise stewards of the time that he has. Well, what does that mean? It includes work. It includes pleasure. It includes family. You make all of those times important for the eternal. Time is that platform, the tool to make, build up things for the kingdom, for heaven to lay up treasures that have nothing to do with this earth. And some of you might come and object and said, Ken, I hate my job. That You know what, that eight hours of work, I don't like it. And yet God wants to redeem that and redeem the work. And do we realize that God actually loves the people at your work? And he might be telling you and offering this as an opportunity to love people and to be part of the kingdom, even at a job you don't like. Do we catch that? When we play, are we bringing eternal things into the 
picture. Our family, are we, is it just about us? Or is it eternal? Sleep? Well, I don't know how we do that, but... Let me put up the end here, though. Ephesians 5 again. I want to come back around to this one. So in light of that, is his teaching that use, he's teaching his disciples, guys, it's about the attitude. Believe that I'm a giver of life. So therefore, give your life away. And look how that Ephesians, look carefully. Then how you walk. We're called to step back and evaluate. Yeah, but you know what? I can't do that for you. That's between you and the Holy Spirit that needs to evaluate the way you use your time. But then look how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use, capturing those moments, the sacred things, whether it's leisure, whether it's work, whether it's family. Can we capture those things for the eternal? And look at that last phrase, because the days are evil. And you go, that is today. That we're called to be stewards of this time in such a way that we're giving toward eternal things because the days are evil. Frankly, where our time is just the platform for the kingdom of God. And that's the way we live our life. It becomes a lifestyle of being a giver. That is the heart that the disciples, he was trying to push in the lives of the disciples and that it lives for us. Mean what it means for us. Time is used either for the temporal or the eternal. And we do choose this day. Let's stand and let's pray.